Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics. For more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Five years earlier, Eleanor Wish had done the worst and the best to him. She had betrayed him, put him in danger, and she also saved his life. She had made love to him, then it all went bad. Still, he often had thoughts about her, the old what might have been blues. She had a hold on him through time. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line Podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And when you're there, if you don't mind, please rate me five stars or better. Also, follow me on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod or my Facebook and Instagram pages, which was set up just for the fans. Lastly, join me at www.thethinblueLinePod.com for more investigative content, where you will find more detailed experience concerning Perry Bosch and Michael Connolly. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back to work and start probing into the last part of Chapter 2, Trunk Music. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explored When in Doubt, Go to the Source, shaped the first part of Chapter 2, Trunk Music. And today we will conclude our deep dive into Chapter 2. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens, so please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. After Bosch's interaction and failure to further his investigative efforts at Dolly's, he tracks down Eleanor Wish. After contact, they spend the night together. Upon returning to his hotel room and freshening up, Bosch was surprised to find Vegas Metro Detective Iverson unannounced in his room. Iverson informs Bosch that the investigation concerning Elysio has taken a huge step forward. In fact, the prints that Bosch provided matched the prints for Luke Lucky Goshen. Bosch was angered when Iverson informed that Captain Felton had acquired arrest and search warrants for Lucky. Iverson pushed back, stating that they tried to call Bosch, but he wasn't available. During the rest and search warrant of Lucky's home, Bosch finds a weapon, and Lucky accuses Bosch of planning it. During the rest processing of Lucky, Iverson advised Bosch that the others of Lucky's crew were being rounded up 
for questioning. Everson tells Bosch that the roundup included Eleanor Wish. After some negotiation with Captain Felton, he agrees to let Bosch interview Wish. Eleanor advises that she was paying a street tax to mobsters for protection. After her interview, Bosch requested that Felton let her go. Seeing the opportunity, Felton only agrees to let her go after Bosch calls him to the billets and advises that LAPD and Vegas will work together as a joint case. That Vegas will take the lead on Luke Goshen and that LAPD will continue with the Alicio angle. After Bosch's interview with Lucky, he calls in to report back to Billets. During this call, Billets advises that the unknown man on the surveillance camera had been identified. She says she identified Detective Carbone of OCID. Billets expressed her discomfort for playing these inside games. And that brings us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. For the defining theme for the last part of Chapter 2, trunk music is, what is lost is often found. Hello, and I'm back. To all you listeners, thank you. For one, first, let me apologize for the extended period I took. Um, I wish I had a good explanation other than life happens, shit happens, and I'm just in the headspace to get back to doing this podcast. I really missed it. And my prior listeners, thank you for uh, continuing to listen. All the new uh, podcast listeners, thank you for clicking on and or listening to the podcast. And I hope that you still find some entertainment from this uh, podcast. So, you know, I like to get to one of the things that always draws me. And and every time I read Michael Connelly, it's just so evident that Michael Connelly gives you the reader uh, inside the uh, a glimpse of good police work, how good police work is done. And what I mean by that is, from the book, he felt angry at himself for lashing out at the big brute, Gussie. But most of all, what bothered him was he had played the whole scene wrong. He had gone to the strip club to try to get a line on Layla and got nothing for it. At best, was all he had came up with was an explanation for what the specks of glitter found in the cup of Tony Aliso's pants and shower drain were and where they came from. That wasn't enough. Now, why this is important and what Michael Connolly is showing you is that a good investigator does a self-evaluation, good and bad, because that's the only way you learn. And what's the old Shakespeare line say, to thyself be true? And that's one of my go-to lines all the time. Is But right here, Bosch is doing self-evaluation of himself, of his investigative technique, that he let his emotions get in the way and he didn't get what he wanted. I mean, he found something. Like you said, the glitter and, and where possibly uh, Lucille was, that is something, but that's not what he wanted. And that's not really what he expected when he went into Dolly's. 
So we then see Bosch tracks down where Eleanor Wish lives and knocks on the door. And she quickly answers the door. And so when she answers the door, Eleanor pretty much kind of gives Bosch the uh, 10th degree or, you know, investigative questions. Something to the effect of, how'd you find me? Did you follow me? And, you know, is reason this is important. I think Eleanor is kind of like, wait a minute, did I miss you? How'd you find me? Did you follow me? How did you, how did I miss you following me here? And Bosch gives it up. He said, no, you know, I, I made some phone calls, which I thought was pretty good. And again, reason why I quote unquote made some phone calls is important in law enforcement is because if you're a good investigator, you have a Rolodex or index or you have a list of people you can call to resolve or get certain answers. And I think Michael Conley here is getting homage to that little nuance. I mean, he just threw it in there, but it's so uh, powerful in the law enforcement investigative world. I just made some phone calls. And then we see Michael is having this through line through Harry and Eleanor's life, the Hoppers Nighthawks. And, you know, when Harry goes into uh, the apartment, he sees a replica or another copy of the Nighthawks. And remember, this is a, a, a line back to the first book, The Black Echo, where he got that um, Nighthawk portrait from Eleanor. And it's so funny because he keeps coming up and saying, hey, is that me? Am I the lone person sitting with someone? Or am I the couple looking at the lone person? And again, it's that implied thread or that connection between Eleanor and Harry. And I think Michael does a great job of visually showing that if you ever go look at the actual painting and you always question, okay, which one is Harry right now? And, you know, one of the benefits that you get from reading a Michael Conley book is not only is it a great crime novel, but at sometimes, you know, he gives you like, like great life quotes, but it's also a love story. And that, to me, you know, if you read a Michael Conley book, especially right now with Harry Bosch, and, you know, he takes you through so many different facets of just the normal everyday person's life to include a great uh, investigator that you get it all. You know, you get a great crime mystery and you get a great love story and you get a lot of life lessons. And that's one of the things that always brings me back to, and I could keep reading these books over and over and over again. And again, that's another reason why I spawned this podcast is to show my appreciation to Michael and also to give you, again, the audience, an uh, inside glimpse, at least into the uh, law enforcement side of it. Now, the, the, the love portion of it, like I keep saying, it's not that type of podcast. <laughs> and I'm still embarrassed or feel a little unease about going too much into Harry's love life on the podcast. But it's there. And, again, if that's, who, that's what you like, and if that attracts you to... Um, Michael Conley and his writings, then he, you have it there. Again, you have a little bit of everything, which to me makes a great book and a great series. And to drive this point home, you know, we see Harry and Eleanor making love. And then Eleanor says to Harry, you know, it's been a long time for me now. And that harkens back to, again, the Black Echo is when Harry and Eleanor first made love. 
Harriet told Elnor, hey, it's been a long time for me. You know, go back to the life lessons again. Bosch is questioning, you know, that was a lifetime ago, the first time they made love. And he thought, you know, what is he doing now? And can a person just pick up when it's been so long and so many different changes? Again, just like I said, that's one of the great things about Michael Connelly's books. You get, you get it all. Like, one, a great murder mystery. And then two, love stories and life lessons. And this was a good example of that. So then we see, while they're in bed, Eleanor starts asking Harry a bunch of questions about his love life. And this is to the female listeners, because I don't want to hear from guys, because guys, we don't know shit. I want to hear from the females who are listening to the podcast. Why is it so important that Eleanor needs to know and or question Harry about his love life up to this point? I mean, she's been in jail. Other than is he with someone? But she asked for great detail here. That kind of made me feel uncomfortable. Um, I just don't know. So I'm asking the female listeners, if you can possibly answer this particular portion or this particular question, why is Eleanor asking Harry these questions? And so Harry leaves, and when he walks out, Michael Connolly describes Vegas in a certain way. And he says that Vegas is like one of the hookers on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Even a happily married man glances their way only for a second just to get an idea of what's out there, maybe giving them something to think about. Vegas was like that. There was this visceral attraction here, the bold promise of money, sex, but the first was a broken promise, a mirage, and the second was fraught with danger, expense, physical and mental risk. It was there the real gambling took place in this town. Again, life lessons. Everything that shimmers uh, isn't gold or something to that effect. That's what I took out of this particular portion of what Michael Conley was talking about. That, in between those narratives, is where the real gambling, the gambling of life and love, took place. And that gets us to this episode's question of the day. And the question today comes from Trunk Music, Chapter 2B. They were in the car and Bosch realized that he had left a photo of Layla inside. He told Iverson to start a car and he'll be right back. When he came back with the photo and got in, he checked on Goshen in the back and saw a trickle of blood running from the corner of his mouth. Bosch looked at Iverson, who was smiling. I don't know. He must have bumped his face when he got in. Either that, or he did it on purpose to make it look like I did it. Question. Should a police officer get physical with a suspect in these type of situations? Just let me say right now, unequivocally, Iverson is a dick. And we, 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 we picked up on that, that Iverson was a dick by how he handled himself in Harry's hotel room. And now we even see more that he hits a handcuffed man. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've gotten in plenty of fights as a cop. I'm not saying for cops to get in fights. And, you know, some people, only way they're going to go to jail is if you fight them. And that happens. That's 
part of law enforcement. Not too many people, well, enough people put their hands up, I'm done, uh, uh, lock me up and take me in. But a good number of people fight. But to hit a handcuffed man to where he's bleeding, that is just such a bitch move. And again, I, I can't give, I mean, I know what happens. I'm not naive. Of course it happened. I had 30 years on as a cop. And, but the people who I hung with and my peer group, this type of behavior would not be accepted and it should not be accepted. So it's really not a question of the day. It's a statement of the day. This type of behavior is bullshit. This is what brings down police working, police work, and this is what gives cops a bad name. And again, it's all for what? Like I said, Ivor said, if you were such a tough guy, why do you go hands-on with Goshen before he uh, was handcuffed? It's self-explanatory. And the only thing that does is give every criminal out there, and better yet, a good defense counsel, just another way into beating your overall case. And so if you want to beat up on somebody, beat them up with the law. Beat them up with the facts. Unless they get physical with you, there's no need. Because at the end of the day, they're locked up. You're not. Do your job. Don't get physical unless people get physical back with you. And no one's saying for you to not go home. Remember, I always will say a cop's first duty is to go home every night. But you don't have to beat up a handcuffed guy. So as we return, we see Harry going back to his hotel room. And as he comes out of the shower, he sees a guy. And the guy we subsequently find out is Metro PD Iverson. But the interaction between Iverson and Bosch is classic. And I don't know what the fuck Iverson was thinking by quote unquote. He did. He broke into Harry's room because he quote unquote didn't want to wait outside. He was knocking on the door. But Harry kind of glimpsed at his weapon to see how fast he can get to it because, you know, he was just, he was in the road. So I love that, that because any, Irishman should have expected that. And the fact that he went into Harry's room like that, right then and there tells anyone that this guy is a piece of shit. And because no other cop would do that. We, I would never, if I've visited plenty of police officers and they were in their room, you know, I'd go to meet them at the hotel, whatever, knock on the door. What, what you do is you, uh, I probably put my ear against the door. Oh, I hear a shower. Go downstairs, wait, and have the uh, concierge call up to his room. That's, that's what you normally would do. Not this whole bullshit of, oh, I didn't feel like waiting in the hallway. That was, that's a bunch of bullshit. He went inside there, probably searched Harry's room to see what Harry has or what, if Harry was holding back anything. Because remember, as I told you in the prior, in chapter one, the captain, eesh, Captain Felton, well, we're going to get to it, but yeah, our suspicions about Captain Felton, and I told you what Captain Felton was about in chapter one, comes to fruition. So yeah, that was a bunch of bullshit with Iverson being in his hotel room like that. Well, let's just go ahead and dive right into that. So if you remember the last um, podcast, chapter one, when I talked about Bosch's interaction with Captain Felton and how Captain Felton, hold, um, uh, Bosch held back on Captain Felton in reference to his investigation and where he was, and rightfully so. And Captain Felton, knowing the, land, the lay of the land, knew Bosch wasn't telling him everything. But since Bosch didn't tell Captain Felton everything, 
anything that Felton, i.e. Vegas PD, developed is Captain Felton's. It's his. It's his baby. He should be able to run with the way he wants to. Well, not should, but he will because Bosch didn't tell him everything. And so Iverson tells Bosch, hey, yeah, you know, those prints that you gave us, they came back. Lucky, uh, uh, lucky, lucky Goshen. You know, we're about to, you know, take him down. It's going, it's going to be righteous. You know, the whole rah, rah, rah thing. But this is what I was, was referring to. And again, I was in that position before. So I'm not going to begrudge Captain Felton too much, but he's been in the game too long and he's not as smooth as you would think when it comes to how to, to maneuver this thing. When it, this thing I'm referring to, he is the liaison for Vegas PD. And with that, you should be just a little bit more finesse when it comes to dealing with outside agencies, getting information, sharing information back and forth. And Iverson keeps saying, well, we tried to call you. We tried to call you. And again, let's remember back, this is back before there were cell phones. I'm pretty sure, well, I'm not sure, it was, did Harry give him his pager? I don't think he did give him his pager information. I think he just told him where he was staying. That's why Iverson knew where to go to the hotel to pick up Bosch. So once again, Michael Connolly does a great job of giving you, the reader, various type of uh, detectives and law enforcement personnel. And what I mean by that is Iverson is talking to Bosch as they are driving to the uh, command post before they take down Lucky Luke Goshen. And in the car, in the conversation back and forth, you know, Bosch is giving um, Iverson a ride act, like, what are you guys doing? Ba ba ba. And Iverson says something to the effect of, we're taking this guy down today, pulling him right the fuck out of bed. We're going to turn him, Bosch. We're going to make him our boy. And through that, we're going to finally get Joy Marks. <laughs> now, <sighs> listen to what Iverson just said. He's going to take a mobster down, turn him, and give up one of the main criminal leaders in Vegas. That, that doesn't make sense. But it happens. I've seen investigators like Iverson. It's all about the shortcut. Again, he's just like Captain Felton. There's no finesse. And think that you can just, quote, unquote, turn somebody. I mean, think about it. He's going after one of the captains of a mafia organization. And because you got some prints on a victim, you think that's going to be enough to quote-unquote flip him? Yeah. But, you know, but that's, but it happens. Again, that's why you think, well, that's kind of far-fetched. That wouldn't really happen. An investigator wouldn't do that. Yes, they would. If you're lazy and didn't lay the groundwork, it happens all the time. And Michael Conley, again, gives great insight to that. So, again, while Bosch and Iverson are talking, Bosch has an epiphany. He said, wait a minute, Lucky Luke Goshen? Yeah, you know, and Iverson, you know, they go back and forth and says, yeah, I met the guy last night when I was at Dolly's. And Bosch says, I fucked it up. And so, again, this is why we like Harry Bosch. He's not afraid to admit when he fucked up. You are a human being. We fuck up things in our investigation. So, that's how we learn to get better so we don't keep doing the fucked up things. But do you think a detective like Iverson would admit 
to Bosch that he fucked up something? I think, again, you know the answer to that. Hell no, he wouldn't. And then we see Harry leaning into his gut instincts about something. From the book, John Flanagan, how did he get Gussie out of that? It's on account that he's the best-dressed bouncer in the county. You know, like a tuxedo. He gets all gussied up to go to work. That's how he got that one. Now, I hope you didn't let him get away with putting that knot on your lip. We had a little discussion in the parking lot before I left. Iverson laughed. I like you, Bosch. You're a tough nut. I'm not sure I like you yet, Iverson. I'm still not happy about you people trying to take over my case. Again, Harry's telling you, Harry's telling us, you know, Michael Connolly's telling us, I'm not sure if I trust you or like you yet, Iverson. So we see Harry's own instincts. He's him leaning into his instincts when it comes to Iverson. Now, again, I keep bringing this up, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but here again is Michael Connolly showing you, the reader, that people hold out on investigations. And when, when, again, what I mean by that is while Harry and Iverson are driving to the command post, Iverson says, oh, yeah, you know, kind of casually, quote, unquote. Um, oh, yeah, there's one other thing. We were working lucky before you came. How's that? Oh, well, some, we got a tip that a guy named Lucky had killed somebody. Well, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing, but yada, yada, yada. But again, isn't it kind of, it's kind of sus- suspect that now they had a tip on a guy which matches the fingerprints that Harry bought them? That's bullshit. That's just Captain Felton's way of planting his flag with Lucky Luke Goshen. And again, he holds, because Bosch asked um, Iverson, well, did Captain Felton know about this when I met him yesterday? Oh, no, no, he didn't know anything about it. Uh, It had came in later that day, and we had put a flyer out, but eventually you would have known about it, so all's good. Like, again, that's that game that I was telling you that Felton is playing. Now, Harry played a little bit, but Felton is playing it just as hard, and we see the consequences of that. And just because, just like I did in the uh, chapter one breakdown, I love how Michael Connolly gives you, the reader, a breakdown of how the money laundering operation works. And like I told you, that was my bread and butter. That's what I did. And I love how, again, Michael Connolly has some great insight on the criminal world. And so if you want to know how a money laundering operation works, read this book <laughs> because he does a really good job. So once Iverson and Bosch arrives at the uh, command center, command post, Bosch and Felton have their little talk. And during this talk, Bosch and Felton kind of get into a little bit. And during this conversation, Felton feigned contrition. Then he said, well, Bosch, you know, you're going to be totally involved in everything from this point forward. Bosch had to back down. But this interaction is kind of built up. And again, I've been talking about it at nauseum because the reason I keep pointing things out like this for you, the reader, when it comes to Michael Connolly books, is that he's giving you guys little breadcrumbs or at least building the, uh, his authenticity 
of his knowledge when it comes to police and interactions. And this is this building, this moment right here, this has been building since the first time Bosch landed in Vegas and met with Captain Felton. And then Michael Connolly goes into how a operation usually starts, you know, you know, the briefing and all that kind of stuff. And so we, Michael Connolly introduces us to Baxter, who is part of OCU, and OCU is part of Felton's domain. Remember, Felton is a captain. And normally captains do not give operational debriefs on how things are going to go. They sit back and watch, and then they you know, whisper here and there. But the actual operational and the explanation of what's going to happen normally doesn't happen or is um, administered by the captain. So one of the things that I like about the description of Baxter, uh, Michael Conley gives, he says, he was a heavily muscled and had a countenance that said, I want no hassles. He seemed to Bosch as to be a man accustomed to both the violence and violent. There's a difference. Now, <laughs> there is a difference. And Baxter, you see, it's those type of cops. Those no-nonsense cops that says, fuck around and find out. That's the best line. And so Michael Connolly is giving you guys a glimpse to, and this is why, again, I, I hope I'm not being so repetitive by my admiration of Michael Connolly. Again, that's why I'm doing this podcast. But this is giving you all these different type of police officers. So they're a tapestry of society. And I like it because you know, we're all not just cookie cutters. And I like the description of Baxter because I've known tons of people like Baxter. And, you know, life is funny because as I was reading this book, a couple of things just hit me. And one of the things that hit me, Michael Conley gets into how when it, once they execute the warrant and they're going around looking at the, prim, at the premise, and how grass was, how the grass was green. And that happened to me. I executed a warrant in uh, New Mexico. And it's arid. But this one criminal had a patch of grass there. And everyone said his water bill has to be just skyrocket. It has to be high. But to a criminal, why would you care about how much the water bill would be? It's, you know, it's, it's ill-gotten gains. Like, what? I don't give a shit. But it's so funny because this kind of uh, struck a chord with me because I witnessed this before. And again, it's just so funny because you see things like that. And well, I read things. I read that. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, that happened to me before. Now, we see Lucky gives you. Well, Lucky is very cool doing a search warrant. You're like, whatever. Do what you got to do. And you see those type of criminals. Now, again, this harkens back to what I said earlier. You think that Iverson is going to be able to turn a guy like Lucky? I mean, he's like, just chill. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Yada, 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 call my lawyer. But, you know, also what Lucky does is he tries to bait Bosch. He tries to goat Bosch into talking about his mother, you know, how, how he's fucked his daughter, blah, 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 you know, all those things. Again, it happens. 
And I, again, I can't tell you about all the MS I've been called and, you know, talk about my mama, you know, the whole nine yards. You just don't fall for it. You're like, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And you sometimes you just say, look, I'm not falling for it. You're wasting your time on me. I got the goods on you. So, again, that's what I was just talking about when I, and I was referring to you in question of the day is you don't have to be emotional about it. It's a job. And if you did your job well, these type of taunts would never affect you. And again, I like how Michael Connolly gives you, the reader, an insight on the proper way of not getting under, not letting these criminals get under your skin by how Harry is handling himself. If you recall, in the last podcast, I talked about how Harry went through the motions about how he searched, even though he didn't think he would find any evidentiary uh, items, he went and searched the hotel uh, room that uh, Aliso was staying in. And, you know, he found the glitter and, you know, it wasn't that big of an evidentiary find. But it is, he followed protocol. And sometimes protocol, you would never have um, finding the evidence, but sometimes you do. And here, Harry's following protocols when it comes to him searching Lucky's room, excuse me, his bathroom, and then finding a gun. And he did it the right way. Because if you don't, what Lucky said to him could be possibly a good criminal defense. Now, that, well, I wouldn't say a good criminal defense. It'd just be a, a criminal defense. But then one of the questions that the uh, defense counsel, and again, it happened to me. Defense counsel's like, well, what did you do? Well, I did this, 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 this. I did this, this, this. Well, well, detective, you sound so so assured. How do you know that? Because I do it all the time. All the time? All the time. Every time? Yes. Check all my files. Check all my records. You see, every time I do A, B, C, and D. If you f- go out of protocol, again, you can go out of protocol, but there's a document why you went out of protocol. What was the exigent circumstances why you went out of protocol? But if, there, if the circumstances wasn't exigent, and you cannot articulate why you went out of protocol, that's where you get in trouble. That's, as a criminal investigator, that's where you get in trouble. Try to stay within protocol and do things the way you were taught, and they, then you can beat back any bullshit defense when it comes to the evidence that you found. Now, you know, I always bring to your attention Michael Connolly captures the eyes of individual people. and. Harry noticed something in Luke Goshen's eyes when he brought that gun out. And I think it's very important because that's a tell. And Bosch said, well, wait a minute, hold on. He was so calm and cool before. But now, looking at his eyes, something happened. Either he didn't expect that gun to be there or he definitely didn't expect that gun to be there. Now his inner eye is like, what the fuck just happened? And, you know, we also see Harry not happy him finding that gun because just like cops have routines, criminals have routines. And if Luke Goshen is such a badass that Iverson made him out to be, why the fuck would you keep a gun in the bathroom in that manner? And Bosch has to think, you know, Bosch is again falling back on his instinct, his criminal knowledge. Like that does not make sense. Criminals follow routines also. You know, and I give an example because one thing that happens is during the surveillance, um, 
we lose people all the time. And so I always tell the young guys, I say, look, don't worry about it. We know we have the guy's pattern. He normally goes to the Starbucks when he leaves the office. Even though we didn't catch him, I'll send somebody over to Starbucks. I bet we pick him up there. And boom, you know, nine times out of ten, the guy shows up at the Starbucks. And so that's an example of what Harry's talking about. Criminals follow routines just like cops. And the fact that that gun is there, just not setting right with Harry. So we see back at the uh, Vegas PD after they bring Goshen in. Bosch is told by Iverson that they're rounding up the other uh, suspects. And Harry's like, what are the suspects? And then you know, Iverson advises him, oh, yeah, you know that lady that was on that video? We bring her in, too. And Bosch like, fuck. And, you know, he has to say, well, Iris cleared her. She's not there. He's like, well, she didn't tell you everything. You know, we have her on surveillance, meeting with mobsters, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And so now Bosch has to go into Felton's office and try to get Eleanor out of this situation. And we see that Felton has no class because to get Eleanor out of this situation, Bosch had to, quote unquote, give up the juicy part of his visit to uh, Vegas, which is Lucky Goshen. But the manner in which Felton did it to Bosch, kind of, it was just getting no class. It's, it's implied. You want me to let your girl go? Okay, well, can we do each other a favor? There's better ways to get what you want in this situation, Captain Felton, without leaving a sour taste in Harry's mouth. But again, Felton doesn't care because he's like, ah, I see you guys a, a dime a dozen. And see, that's very short-sighted because it happens both ways. Because if I was on a receiving end, of the Captain Felton's treatment. I would let everyone know back in Vegas, uh, back in Los Angeles, what a dick he was and his whole unit was. And the first thing I learned, you know, one thing I learned quickly as a cop is your name comes through that door first. Because you know the first thing that's going to happen? This is what's going to happen back in L.A. What happened in L.A. is Bosch would go back and say, man, this guy is a dick. His whole squad is a dick. Iverson the dick, blah, 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 blah. So then, say a month, two months, sometime a year later, Vegas is going to call L.A. and say, hey, you know, I need some help. I'm going to send some guy out there. And then the call taker is going to be like, hey, Harry, you, you were out at Vegas, right? And Harry's like, yeah, what's up? Well, you know, I just got the phone with uh, Felton. He's going to send some guy out here. Ooh, give me the skinny on this guy. What's up? And then Harry's going to like, fuck those motherfuckers. They're pieces of shit. You know, they fucked my whole case over and they did this, that, and the other, whatever, whatever. You see how it starts? And that's how it happens. And it didn't have to happen that way. Felton had won. Him and Bosch played the game. He won, but he didn't have to win and then leave a bitter taste in Harry's mouth. And I'll just put a point on this. Felton has played this before. He is the liaison for any outside agency. And he should know better. Because the only thing this does, it hurts his agency. Because if Vegas develops that type of reputation, then most agencies and most cops would just go around you. Then we see Bosch, Lucky, and Iverson starting the interview. But during the onset of the interview, Lucky says, no, I don't want to talk to that guy, reference to Iverson. 
And why would he want to talk to Iverson? Iverson punched him in the face while he was handcuffed. He also, Lucky also implied that Iverson came around and got freebies, quote unquote freebies, from the girls in the strip club. Why would he want to talk to a guy like that? He's a punk. He will talk to Bosch. Why did he want to talk to Bosch? Why could he talk to Bosch? It's because he tried his best to get under Bosch's skin. And just like I had just said, Bosch like, whatever, 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 blah, blah, blah. Take that bullshit some other place. I'm not falling for it. So he knows Bosch is the type of cop that at least his little interaction with him so far, he's on the up and up. And again, this is, a, this is what I was referring to is Iverson was so short-sighted. He thought that type of behavior was going to turn a guy like Lucky Goshen. Man. So again, this is what I was pointing out there. Pointing out there. And again, Michael Conley gives voice to that. So then we see Bosch, after interviewing Lucky, is meet with Felton. And he actually tells Felton, you know, Lucky won round one of an interview. Again, Bosch is not afraid to say he's not the, he, he wins all the time. That happens in cop work. You know, you have an interview, the defendant, the bad guy gets his shots in, his or her shots in. And so he told Felton, I lost round one. And so then Felton and Bosch are talking about what to do next. And, you know, they're talking about the ballistics who help out when it comes to Lucky. Felton, and you can see what, what Iverson gets it. Felton says, well, he has spent a night in jail. Maybe that would soften him up. Really? <laughs> okay. All right. Whatever. I don't think so, but okay. Whatever. And Bosch says, well, look, I got to make, make a call to my CEO, Billets. And so then we see Bosch call Billets. And during the phone call, Bosch senses something is off with Billings, and he waits her out. And I love how Michael Conley says that. Sometimes a good investigator, keep your mouth shut and let people tell you stuff, opposed to asking them stuff. So Lieutenant Billings tells Bosch that she identified the person on the video coming out of Tony Alicia's um, office. Bosch is like, great, that's great news. She's like, it's not great news. The person identified was Detective Carbone. He's like, what the fuck? So, and again, Michael Conley's description, he was stunned, stunned into silence. <laughs> because, you know, of all the people that possibly that could have been, now you find out what the hell, how did this case now take another twist? And this is why we like Michael Conley and his writing. Because did you anyone see that coming? I didn't. I can just say I didn't. But as I... Look back on it. It's such a great plot twist that Michael Conley did here. Because, you know, and again, you can't just read. When I was reading Michael Conley's um, books, you can't just like skim a chapter or something like that. You better read everything because you just might miss something. And this right here, again, is just classic Michael Conley. And, you know, you see poor Billets. You know, she's like, I don't like this, Harry. I don't like this inside the park bullshit that goes on. But unfortunately, Lieutenant Billings, this quote unquote inside the park bullshit is law enforcement life. That's just what happens.
And that gets us to this episode's Everybody Counts or Nobody Counts person. Am I Everybody Counts or Nobody Counts person for Trunk Music? Chapter 2B is Lucky Luke Goshen. Now, I know everyone's like, Phil, he's a criminal. Why the hell would you make him your everyone counts or no one counts person of this podcast, of this episode? What Lucky represents? Lucky represents a cool, smart criminal who has his shit together. And then Lucky pushes Bosch and or any criminal investigator who's dealing with him to react one of two ways. Stupidly, like uh, Iverson did, or smartly, like Harry did. I want to point that out in this particular podcast for this particular episode. So uh, Lucky also represents is a smart criminal. And I've always said throughout every podcast I've done so far in the Harry Bosch realm was if you as a criminal investigator underestimate your potential uh, suspect or criminal, you're going to lose. If you think they're dumb, you're going to lose. Because underestimating your opponent, I mean, it's just classic investigator 101. Underestimating your opponent, then you become lazy, short-sighted, and you stop being creative yourself. Then now, now, you might be smarter than them. You might get lucky every once in a while, but that luck is going to run out if you take the mindset of you're better than, smarter than, or you, you fill in the blank than your opponent, your criminal person who you're investigating. So that's why my everyone counts or no one counts. Chapter 2B Trunk Music is Lucky Luke Goshen. Well, this concludes the last part of Chapter 2 review of Trunk Music. Whew. Fans, I can tell you this was harder. Getting back in the saddle again, getting the routine was much harder than I thought. But I'm back at it. Like I always say, thanks for hanging in there with me. And continue, please continue to go to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as you guys have always done, please continue to rate me five stars or better. And I do like comments. I mean, did you like the podcast? Did you like the content? Did you want me to focus in on anything else? So please leave comments anywhere, the website, YouTube channel, Facebook. Leave a comment because I read them and I love your feedback. Also, continue to share the podcast with friends and family because we are growing and I'd like to continue to grow with your help. So if you could, please continue sharing the podcast. Lastly, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where you will find a more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. So, Next time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will start a deep dive into chapter three of Trunk Music. I'm Phil Parker, and I'm 10-7 for the remainder. Bye.